I'm George Flynn. In this chapter of Life Hacks Handbook, we're going to talk about fear and how to conquer fear. I didn't say how to minimize fear. I didn't say how to slightly decrease fear. I said conquer fear, and I mean it with a life hack. We don't have to try and work on it and do something. We just have to do it, and this is how to do it. What is fear? You know, fear is basically the body's response to a threat or a perceived threat. It's the body's response. It's the response of the brain. And the brain responds to this threat or this perceived threat. And th what happens is when this threat comes along, there's another center in the brain which causes anxiety. And these two areas of the brain interact. So the anxiety center interacts with the thinking center and they're bathed in these neurotransmitters or these chemicals and it's a chemical reaction. You know, fear is, you, you, there's two types of fear really. There's the fear you're totally aware of, you know, you know I'm scared, like that. Or there's a fear that you know about because your breathing goes up. You get tense, your muscles get tense. Your heart rate goes up. Well, what is that about? That's the body's response to this threat. And when the body perceives this threat, it's got to defend itself or run away. It's called a fight or flight response. And in the fight or flight response, you got to get more oxygen. So what happens is breathing rate goes up so you can have more oxygenation to the muscles to either run away or deliver a punch. And then the heart rate goes up because it's got to circulate that oxygen throughout all the body into the muscles. The vasculature to the GI tract actually constricts and all of the organs, you know, the kidneys and all of the organs that are not necessary for fighting or running away, that's the muscles, they are, the, the blood flow to that decreases. So the body spares those areas and it says we're going to decrease your blood supply for a little while so that the muscles can have the maximum amount of blood, the maximum amount of oxygen, so they can do their job. You can either run away real fast or you can fight real hard. Now that's the fear that we become aware of. There's another type of fear that is in there and we're not aware of it. The heart rate doesn't go up. It may go up just a little bit, but you don't notice it. You may find yourself breathing a little bit, but not panting. But you might find yourself breathing a little more rapidly than usual. <clears throat> you might even feel a little lightheaded because when you hyperventilate so long, it changes the, the CO2 levels in the blood and you get a little bit lightheaded. And that's a part of 
anxiety. But it's not an anxiety you, they say, well, what are you anxious about? And people say, I don't know. I'm not anxious. Got nothing to be anxious about. And we call that free-floating anxiety. And that free-floating anxiety, or actually the real fear, either one, causes our thinking to be very rapid. We don't think through things. We just react. We don't respond. We react. And our in the free-floating anxiety, when you know you don't really know what you're anxious about, and your muscles aren't getting all the blood that you know for fight or flight, but you're just breathing a little more rapidly. Your heart beats a little faster. It may skip a beat or two. And that causes our thinking pattern to slow down. And in addition to that, our thinking pattern is not optimal and we're apt to have errors in judgment. So what happens is anxiety, it, it cuts the creativity for solutions. It, you have decisions that you'd like to make, but it kind of, you know, says, oh, I can't make that decision right now. It interrupts decision making. And the most important thing it does is it cuts our creativity for solutions. So we've got all of these problems mounting up, mounting up, mounting up, and the anxiety says you can't really solve them. So they keep mounting up and pretty soon you're overwhelmed. Now anxiety can also come from getting too close to success or too close to the freedom that you have been working for all your life and desire. Why is this? You say, well, you know, I'm getting close to success. I'm getting close to freedom. I can do everything I've always wanted to do. When you get real close to that, and I've been close to that in elections, and I've lost some and I've won some. But when you get close to the election, you get anxious. Every candidate does. And they think, what am I going to do if I win? What am I going to do if I lose? Because I don't know what do I do with this change. If I don't win the election, if I'm the incumbent and I don't win the election, I've got to leave office. If I'm you know, running for an office and I do win, what do I do? Can I really do this? Will people finally see that I don't know what I'm doing? That's what goes through all their heads, everybody's head. A movie star, when they get to the pinnacle of success, they say, what if I'm found out to be a fraud? What if I'm found out that I really can't act? And anxiety goes through the roof when you come really close to success or freedom. And it gets so much anxiety that a lot of people back away say, I'd rather not even try than have all this anxiety and all of this fear. So they back away right at the edge of the winning solution. 
So the fear of success is the same, exactly the same as the fear of failure. And we, we see people all the time that back away, that back away from success, that back away from, you know, instant gratification over 20 years. You know, you've heard of the overnight success. Well, this instant success that they're about to have because they put in all the work all these years, they get fearful and they back away. Now remember, emotions and thinking. You have the emotional brain and you have the thinking brain. And all decisions are made emotionally and backed up by thinking. Now, does that mean your thinking doesn't control your emotions? Of course it does. Your thinking controls your emotions, but your emotions control your thinking. And so it's a vicious cycle. Who came first? The emotions or the thinking? The chicken or the egg? It's the age-old story. Which came first? Which is more important? Well, there's this cognitive part of the brain and remember, it changes with emotional states. If you're up on top of the mountain, having that top of the mountain experience, that light bulb experience, then you're in the zone people talk about. Have you ever been in the zone? And when you're in that zone, you can do no wrong. Every decision is correct. You cannot, you, you just can't do anything wrong. If you're playing basketball, you can't miss a basket. If you're playing football, you can't miss the touchdown. If, you, if you're you know, competing in, in ballet, you can't miss a step. Everything is perfect. You're in the zone. That's because your emotional state and your thinking state are at the same high level. Okay, what if you're depressed? If you're depressed, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars. And you're depressed here and thinking, I'm going to make a million dollars. And your, your head says, no, you're not. You're down here depressed. And all of a sudden you come down here and say, I can't do anything. I couldn't make a dime if I had to. So your emotions and your thinking brain will even out. But it's usually the emotional brain that takes the lead. There are all kind of courses and all kind of ideas that you can think your way back into a good emotional state. And I'm not denying that. It is more difficult than you believe until you've done it. Once you've done it and find out how to do it, then that's a life hack. Once you understand you can think your way back to good emotions because thinking what happens with thinking is these neurotransmitters are released and they bathe your brain and all of a sudden the emotional brain is bathed in the good neurotransmitters and says hey things aren't so bad I think we can do it we'll get to taking chances now taking chances comes from courage. And people with that kind of courage 
even if they, their emotions say, well, we ought to take this chance, and their thinking brain says, I don't know about taking that chance, and their emotional brain says, go ahead, take it. Those people have the courage to follow the emotional brain and the thinking brain says, even though I really don't think I can do this, I'm going to come up to this level and we're going to take this chance. And they take the chance immediately. And if they win, they're up on this emotional and thinking hilltop. She said, what if they lose? What if they fail? They fail if they do. And they think, well, this is where I went wrong. I can do differently next time. And they recover rapidly. What they do is they feel the fear, they feel the pain, they feel the loss, and they take the healthy action. That's what this is about. You can feel the fear, whether it's a fear you're aware of or one that you're not aware of. And all of a sudden, if you say, where is this anxiety coming from? You now have a life hack to know that is unaware fear. You're unaware of it. And you focus on it and you say, what is this about? You bring it to the surface. It's like a submarine. It's under the surface. You bring it to the surface. You can see it then and you can evaluate it for what it is. That's the life hack. If you understand your fears, the fears you're aware of, why are you aware of them, and what are they, and then these fears that are unaware, if you say, I don't know what I'm afraid of, you bring it to the surface and you say, oh, it's one of these fears I'm unaware of. And then you address it, and we're going to give you, in the next part of this chapter, in the next part of the video, we're going to give you the cure, the cure, the life hack for curing fear. I didn't say decreasing, I didn't say diminishing, I said curing it because the life hack will cure the fear. I'm George Flynn. We'll see you in the next part of the chapter of Life Hacks Handbook for Curing Fears. Thank you.